Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to today's podcast, The Unchangeable Truth, as Pastor Stephen looks at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, looking at God's glory and grace. If you have a Bible today, please take the Bible and open to Romans chapter 3. We are studying the book of Romans, a verse-by-verse study, the series entitled, a life transformation. The writer of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, is basically been saying, hey, when you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then there is a major change that happens in your life. And I love the fact it's like he's like, I am exhibit A. Uh, Such a radical change. They're like, we're going to have to change your name. You're nothing like the guy before. And so we know that the gospel is that. It is transforming. And so for the first two and a half chapters, Paul has been saying, hey, let's talk about the wrath of God. Let's talk about uh, the nature and the character of God that punishes sin. Let's talk about a, a, a pure God, but also a God of justice. And then this morning, he's going to kind of change gears just a little bit. And in verse 21 of chapter 3, he's going to say, hey, now let's talk about the other uh, characteristics of God and his nature. And so he's going to talk about a God of mercy and a God of love and a God of grace. The turning point where he starts to talk about things like redemption and righteousness and justification and faith and forgiveness. So this morning, we're going to look at verse 21 through 31 in Romans chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture will be on the screens. And if you don't own a Bible, then stop by the Welcome Center before you leave. We would be happy to give you one as a gift today. Romans chapter 3 verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where there is boasting, he says in verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, in which most of us in this room would say, Amen. I'm so thankful he's the God of the Gentiles as well. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, that's the Jews, and the uncircumcised through faith, Gentiles. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, let me just stop and say this. 
There are entire semesters in seminary devoted to the 11 verses that we read today. And so uh, there's no way. We're just scratching the surface. I mean, you, you look at this passage of Scripture. Uh, in verse 21, he's talking about the righteousness of God. You get over to verse 22, and it introduces us to faith there. Verse 23, he's talking about the glory of God. Verse 24, redemption. Verse 25, atonement, sacrifice. goes on, justice, justification, the wrath of God. There are so many things that he introduces to us in these 11 verses of Scripture, but, and some of you will find this hard to believe, but today I'm only going to have two points. I know, right? Two points. If some of you are new and you're like, that means we're going home early. No, it does not mean that. Come on, are you crazy? No, it just means I got a lot to talk about when it comes to those two. Seriously, we could have a dozen points. But it all goes back to two things. The glory of God and the grace of God. The glory of God and the grace of God. Can I just say all scripture points to the glory of God and the grace of God. We know that very clearly. That no matter where we study in the word of God, no matter what happens when we show up in this place, eventually it's going to get to the glory of God, which is through the grace of God. And so that's where we find ourselves today in this passage of Scripture. Here is the first thing that I would like to say about God's glory. God's glory is not based on our performance. I mean, we know that. We talk about that all the time, right? You, seriously, you guys could have written the points that I'm going to give you today. God's glory is not based on our performance. Now, when we talk about God's glory, what do we mean when we use the word glory? Well, glory is, it's, it's, it's like God's spotlight. Uh, maybe we'd say it this way, it's like limelight. It's his approval. It's his acceptance. It's God saying, hey, I'm going to choose to shine the limelight of my glory in your life. And it has nothing to do with your performance. Let me explain it this way. Uh, I grew up playing baseball. Honestly, I can't remember a time in my life when I was growing up where I was not playing baseball. And I was, I was thinking about this just the other day. I want to say I started playing baseball about age four or age five. Now, this was before they had T-ball it was just, you get up there and go. And so you'll find this hard to believe by looking at me this morning. When I first started, I wasn't very good. Matter of fact, my first position was in right field. Does that tell you anything? And it gets worse. There were four other right fielders. Yeah, when I first started, I was like, everybody plays, right? And he put everybody in position, and then he's like, all right, the rest of you five, go out to right field. And we're like, no, where's that? The very first game that I played, there was a ball hit, came out to me. And uh, I can remember thinking, oh, please don't come to me. Oh, please don't come to me. Please don't come to me. Came right to me. Rolled right through my legs all the way to the fence. A home run. Right? Yeah, how horrible was that? But, but you know what? After the game, I don't remember if we won or lost. 
after the game, my mom, my dad took me right across the street. We were playing. I grew up playing at the YMCA, the Young Men's Christian Association of Corinth, Mississippi. And right across the street, right next to the batting cages, right before you would get over to the, to the you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old fields, there was the concession stand. And the guy who ran the concession stand was Tommy Hong Kong Taylor. And, it, you know, you kind of, that, just the fact of his nickname draws a mental image that's exactly the way it was. And so he made the world's best chili dogs. And he was really known for his tutti frutti slushies. After the game, my parents took me over there. I got a hot dog and a tutti-frutti slush. We sat down on picnic table, and we just visited for a while, and I ate my hot dog, and I drank my slush. And that began, the entire time that I played at the YMCA, that began a tradition that my parents and I did after every game. If we won, we would go. I'd get my hot dog, I'd get my tutti-frutti slush. Now, some of you are thinking, you don't look like a tutti-frutti guy. Don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> if we lost... I mean, that's what I like. I could sit there and I could hit a home run. They're taking me to get my hot dog and my slushy. I could strike out every single time. We're going across the street to get my hot dog and slushy. Make one error, three errors, make no errors after the game. We're going to the concession stand. Tommy Hong Kong's there. I get my hot dog and I get my slushy. We sit on the picnic table and my parents are just showing me favor. They're showing me uh, their limelight. They're showing kind of a spotlight on me. And it depended not one single bit on how well I performed in the game. Be honest with you, there were times that I was out in the outfield and I'm like, I don't even care if we win or lose. I want my hot dog and slushy. <laughs> there were times that I was like, why don't we hurry this thing up? I want my hot dog and my slushy. See, see, that's probably a poor analogy, but understand, that's what Paul is talking about here when he talks about God's glory and God's limelight and God's spotlight right here. He is saying that his approval is not based on our performance, that it's based upon the very character and the nature of God. Well, why? Isn't that what we like to ask? Why can I not earn his glory? I'm thankful you asked the question. It frees me up to answer it. There's two answers. Here's the first one. We all fall short. We all fall short. Look in verse 23. When we read verse 23, some of you are like, hey, that sounds familiar. Some of you are familiar with the Roman road, and we know that Romans 3.23 kind of starts the whole thing off. For all have sinned and fall short. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you've sinned. Turn to yourself right now and say, I've sinned. Yeah, I don't know how you do that, but some of you talk to yourself quite regularly, so it's not really weird. <laughs> we've all sinned, right? We have all sinned. We've all fall short, he says, of God's glory. Now, the word sinned here, it actually means missing the target carries with it this idea of, a, uh, of an archer who will pull back his bow, he'll shoot his arrow, and he'll, he'll miss the target altogether. Well, what's the target? A sinless life. Perfection. It's what God said. God's established it. Absolute perfection. 
And so try as hard as we may, every single one of us, we've already established it through God's word. Your neighbor established it in your life. You even said it to yourself. We all fall short and miss the target. Matter of fact, when he says we fall short, uh, commentators would say this. Picture the idea of somebody running a race. They may be winning the race. They may be in the middle of the pack. They may be the very last one in the race. They may be running faster, breaking a world record, but all of a sudden they fall down and they don't reach the finish line. That's the idea here. They don't finish the race. They, they have fallen. And so Paul is saying is, even if it were possible for us to earn God's favor, to earn God's glory, we would all fall short of reaching that goal. Because all have sinned. All have fallen short. I know we have this idea in our mind of those that are so perfect, those that have it all together, those that are spiritual super giants. You know, you automatically think of someone, oh man, if I could just be like them, if I could just have it together like them, if I could just be as moral as they are, right? If I could just be as super spiritual as they are, he says even they have fallen short. They've missed the mark. They haven't finished the race. Let me explain it this way. Let's just say that God, that God were to come today. Now, he's not going to. Just make this clear. I mean, well, now hang on. Let me finish. <laughs> let me finish. Let's say that God were to come today and say, we've changed how we're doing stuff. Yeah, I, I tell you what. I've made a way that you can get to heaven besides grace and repentance and faith. See? That was the end of the story. And he says, here's the way. If you can jump across the Gulf of Mexico, you'll get a get-out-of-hell-free card. So, so, so yeah, you, you're going to stand on the shore of Panama City, and you're going to jump across, and if you can jump across to Mexico, then you know what? You're covered. It's taken care of. You don't have to worry about anything. You've hit the mark. Let's say that's the mark to jump across the Gulf. Now, some of you would jump, I don't know, 15, maybe, maybe 20 feet. Looking around the room, some of you would jump one or two feet. And, and you would hurt jumping one or two feet, right? Can I get a witness this morning? That's what I'm saying. Mowed the yard yesterday, and I'm like, why not do that? There are some of you that would jump further than other people. Matter of fact, I tell you what, how about this? How about we bring in to this little scenario uh, uh, the greatest Olympic long jumper in the world today. He just recently won a gold medal. Here is his name, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but he's from Greece, and it's Miltiades Tintoglu. Did I say that right? You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> We're going to give him a running start, right? And so he's going to take off, and he, he won the, the gold medal. I think he jumped 27 feet and some odd inches. But let's just say today's a really good day, right? He gets a good running go. That Panama City wind picks him up, and he jumps 30 feet. He's still going to be about 1,000 feet short. You may jump your best. You're still going to be quite a bit short. Not a thousand feet, a thousand miles. <laughs> 
appreciate you correcting me. They'll just edit that right out of TV and it sound the way I meant for it to sound. Uh, here, here's what I'm saying. You and I stand in the water of our own failure, and what we want to do is we want to look around and we want to say, well, you know what? I'm in the water of failure, but I mean, because there's some of you, you're going to jump about as ankle deep, some of you about knee deep, some of you about waist deep, and, and you're going to look around and you're going to say, well, I didn't make it all the way to Mexico, but you know what? I did a lot better than that guy right there. I mean, look at her. I mean, I mean she, she's laying down in the sand. I mean, I, I, I know I didn't get there, but... But no, 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 he says, no, no, we're not comparing ourselves to each other. We're not comparing ourselves to the gold medal winner. He says, we're comparing ourselves to the standard and the standard is absolute perfection. We can't hit that target. Why? Because we all fall short. Even the best, short. But then there's a second reason why. Our performance does not give us God's glory. We cannot boast about ourselves. Look at verse 27. He asked the question in verse 27. He says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. God has set it up in such a way to where you and I cannot sit there and say, well, you know what? Look at how far I jumped. I jumped a lot farther than they did back there, you know, and I've got like an artificial hip and knee and all that kind of stuff. I mean, look at how far I've gone. Look at how well I did. I'm comparing. He says, no, no, you cannot boast about anything spiritually when it comes to yourself. If you're comparing yourself to anybody else, he says you're using the wrong standard. You got to set yourself up by the right standard. Let me explain it this way. So, there was a guy who worked at a factory, and his, his sole job every day was to blow the whistle at the factory at 12 o'clock and 5 p.m. And so what he would do on his way to work, he would stop at a stop sign, which was right out front of a jewelry store, and he would look inside the jewelry store, and he would see a huge grandfather clock, and he would look at the time, and he would set his watch by the clock's time, and then he would go to the factory, 12 o'clock, blow the horn, 5 o'clock, blow the horn. And so every day, get up, drive, stop, look over, see the grandfather clock, set his watch, go to work, blow the horn. Well, one day... He's sitting there at the stop sign. He's looking at the grandfather clock. He's setting his clock, and he sees the owner of the jewelry store going in. And so he pulls over, and he gets out, and he walks up to the owner of the jewelry store, and he introduces himself. And he says, I've got one question I'd like to ask you. He said, now, what do you use to set the time on this grandfather clock? Because the time is always perfect. He said, it's real simple. I set it twice a day. Every time I hear the horn go off at the factory down there at 12 o'clock and 5 p.m. Think about that. You could get off a long way doing it that way, right? See, there are a lot of people that look around and we compare ourselves to other people, but God has set it up in such a way where he's like, you know what? There is no comparison because the target is absolute perfection. I'll save you time, he says. You'll never, ever hit it. And it's God's desire to put you in the limelight of his glory, but friend, you'll, you'll never be in the limelight of his glory until you quit trying to do it on your own and admit Romans 
I'm a sinner and I'll fall short of God's glory. I'm a sinner and I fall short of God's glory. Try as hard as I may, I'm a sinner and I fall short of God's glory. Friend, I'm telling you, I'm just saying, God will never sit there and say, I will shine my limelight of approval and acceptance and glory on you because I've watched how you live. You're living a great life, compared you to most. Oh, you're so much better than they are. You know what? I'll just shine down on you. He says it will not happen. God's glory is not based on our performance. But here's the second statement. God's grace is a free gift. His grace is a free gift. Now, a lot of you are like me. When you hear the words free gift, you're like, well, there's nothing really free in life. Aren't we skeptical? Isn't that the world that we live in? Nothing really free. You know, I was taught as a child growing up that with shekels comes shackles. That everybody's always got an angle, right? That if they want to give you something, well, they're trying to butter you up because they want to get something. I had a phone call not too long ago. And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea how they got my number. Some of you may have sold it to them. I don't know. But they called. I didn't recognize the number. Usually if I don't recognize the number, I didn't answer it. But I thought, you know, it's an 850 number. It's got to be somebody here in Panama City that I need to talk to. They weren't even in Panama City. Here's how the phone call went. Mr. Kyle, I'm so happy to inform you that you have won an all-inclusive free trip to one of our many resort destinations around the world. You don't have to do anything. It's free. All you have to do is to claim your trip. Now let's go ahead and let's lock in your dates for this unforgettable getaway. And I'm like, oh boy, this is my lucky day. Yes, sir. I knew something good was going to happen to me today. Before I lock in my dates, can I just ask you one question? Are you going to make us go to one of those three-hour high-pressure sales meetings to get us to buy, uh, to buy timeshare in your condominiums? Well, now, Mr. Kyle, you need to understand the trip is free. We do simply ask that you and your partner <laughs> and I kind of giggle because I'm like, I've been married to this lady 23 years. I don't think I've ever said, hey, partner. <laughs> mm. Marriage 101, friend, brother, you better get that one. You and your partner, all we ask you to do is simply meet with one of our vacation specialists and hear about our exciting vacation program. That's not a gift. That's not a gift. You earn it. You say, what? No, do you really earn it? Have you ever been to one of those three-hour high-pressure sales meetings? I'll be honest with you, about two hours, 45 minutes, I'm like, just tell me how much you need me to pay to get out of this room. <laughs> this is horrible. See, see, we approach when it comes to salvation that way. There are some of you that are like, I'm going to hang on just a second. This seems really too good to be true. That, that, that I don't do anything to, to have my sins forgiven, to be right with God, to make sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. Are you telling me that it is absolutely free, not dependent upon my actions or my performance at all? Absolutely. That's His grace. That's just great. And, and some folks, I know some folks, they approach it the same way that they approach 
uh, they approach their business. Well, you know, I, I got where I am today because I worked real hard. Pulled up my bootstraps and Man, I, I hit it, and I've been sacrificing, and we made good decisions, and when times were lean, we just were real careful, and man, I've worked, and I've worked, and I've worked, and now we are getting to experience the fruit of my labor. Let me just say this. First of all, I think God honors hard work. Hear me. Got, got, got a problem with those who expect to eat, but they don't want to work. But, you think you're the one who earned it? Hey, tomorrow morning when you go to work, try, try functioning on your own oxygen. Yeah, yeah, in the morning before you leave your house, look in the mirror and say, okay, all you little brain cells and synopsis, you need to fire the way you're supposed to fire today so I can accomplish my job. No, 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 I'm just saying God's the one. Who has given. God's the one who has blessed. Now again, man, he, he, he rewards hard work, but not when it comes to salvation. It's not about anything that you and I can do. It is not anything that we can attain. I promise you God will never say, well, you know what? I kind of had this redemption thing. I kind of had this faith thing. I kind of had this uh, grace thing. But, you know, I've been kind of watching you. And you're so good. You're so holy. You're so righteous. I mean, my goodness, you've memorized Scripture. You've never missed one Sunday of giving. Oh, my God. You were even sick and you came to church. By the way, let me just say this. If you're sick, don't come to church. Please. It's not going to happen. God's not going to say that. God's grace is a free gift that cannot, can be, that cannot be earned by the sweat of our brow. It is a free gift. And then he starts breaking it down. First of all, he talks about Jesus' act of redemption. Look in verse 24. He says in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Now, I've shared with you that I was raised in a small, rural West Tennessee town. My dad worked at a factory. Uh, I have a sister who has been special needs ever since she was 11 months old. And so my mom would stay home and take care of my sister. And, you know, we, we didn't have a lot. My parents made sure we were taken care of. We didn't have a whole lot. And, and when I think of the word redemption, I automatically go back in my mind when I was a child to the redemption centers that we used to go to. Any of y'all know what I'm talking about? Most of y'all, y'all were raised very wealthy. You don't understand what I'm talking about. But, but those of you that are not quite a, as sophisticated as most, you remember the redemption centers? Yeah, yeah, green stamps. Thank you. Few of y'all. Few of y'all. Uh, those who don't, just kind of go with me. So my mom, when she would buy groceries, they would give out little green stamps depending upon how much money you had spent at the grocery store. And we had these little books that we would take the green stamps and we would lick them and we would put them in the books. Uh, you know, if you spent so much, you would get a big green stamp and it would cover the whole page of that book. 
And you would also get little small ones if you spent less money. I was always the one that my mom would say, why don't you lick these small ones? It'd take about 20 small ones to fill up the page. My tongue's still not the same today. (laughs) Because I licked so many green stamps. But we would fill those books. We would go down to the Redemption Center, which was right next to the grocery store that we swapped at, or that we bought at, listen to me, that we swapped at. And we would go into the Redemption Center and we would redeem those green stamps. So my mom would take in the books filled up and she would get her frying pan. Or I remember one time she got a set of, uh, it said China. <laughs> it was not China. We used those dishes for a long, I've, I don't know, is there, is there China that has roosters on it? I remember one time that, that, that I was able to use some of her stamps to get me a baseball bat. So you'd take the stamps and you would redeem it. That's kind of what comes to mind. Understand, he's not talking about redeeming stamps or a grocery store or goods or anything like that. When he uses the terminology redemption, in biblical times, what happened was a free man would go and he would purchase a man who was enslaved. And once he bought that man's freedom, instead of having that man remain his slave and work for him, he would set him free. He would pay the price for that man's freedom. And then he would say, okay, the price has been paid. Now you go do whatever you want to do. And you know what would happen most of the times? The slave, or the one who had been enslaved, who was now no longer a slave, was filled with such gratitude that he would say, can I stay with you? And, and can I serve you? Can I work for you? He had his freedom, right? Oh, don't miss this, guys. Don't miss this. So what Paul is saying is, here you and I are. No one is innocent. We are all guilty. Some may jump 15 feet. Some may jump 30 feet. Some fall down in the sand. It doesn't really matter. We'll never hit the goal. We'll never get all the way across the gulf. That, that's who we are. And God comes along and God's like, how about you quit trying? You'll never do it. I never intended for you to do it. No, no, no. I'm going to redeem you. So God exchanges the sinless life of his own son for my rotten, rancid, broken life. And he says, I'll set you free. I'll set you free from the chains and the bondage of sin. And for those of you who've been set free, you're so overwhelmed. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this. No, no, no. God, I want to serve you all the days of my life. He set us free. So that's Jesus' act of redemption. But then secondly, He talks about Jesus' act of atonement. Look in verse 25. Whom God set free as a propitiation 
by his blood. That's Jesus' blood. Now, you guys know, I, I preach out of the New King James Version just because I've always done it that way. Uh, I like how the NIV reads here. It says, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. In the Greek language, it's one word. It appears twice in the Bible. It means mercy seat. You guys remember the Ark of the Covenant? You ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? The Ark of the Covenant? After the first service, we were out there, and uh, one of our security guys said, where do you think the Ark of the Covenant is? And uh, I'm like, well, not where Harrison Ford thought it was, I can tell you that. Uh, it's pro probably buried up in the Ecofina somewhere. Have y'all been up there? My goodness. The Ark of the Covenant, an oblong box, held the Ten Commandments, held Aaron's rod, held a bowl of manna. On top of the box was a solid golden lid. There were cherubim on either end. Their wings were opened up. No one sat on that seat on top of it, which was called the mercy seat. Every year on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the high priest would stand outside and they would take a male lamb, make sure he didn't have any spot, didn't have any blemish, there was no defect at all, and they would, they would kill and sacrifice that lamb. And then the high priest would take a branch of hyssop, which basically was a tree branch with a lot of leaves, and he would dip it down into the lamb's blood, and he would take that branch and he would smear the lamb's blood and then he would walk into the holy of holies and he would open up the huge veil that covered up the holy of holies and he would walk in there with that hyssop branch and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and so the act of that high priest sprinkling that blood was symbolic of God forgiving the Israelites of their sin the sprinkling that, that that's the word here the mercy seat that's the word here. Well, why did the priest do that? Because it was, it was symbolic. It's what God had told them to do. But listen to me. Every year, at the same day, in the same time, he would do the very same thing. And it never forgave one single sin. Not one. You know, that didn't make any sense. Why? I mean, why did they waste so many animals? Why did they waste so much time? Why in the world would God come along and God tell them to do this? God had them do it because God was trying to condition their minds uh, of the Jewish people that it is only by the shedding of blood that sins can be forgiven. And it had to come from a lamb. That was without blemish. So listen to me, listen to me. So, so here's John the Baptist, right? And then Jesus comes along and you remember Jesus is like, hey, John, I want you to baptize me. And you know, John's like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? There's no way I can baptize you. You ought to baptize me. I'm not worthy. He ends up doing it because Jesus told him to. But do you remember what he said when Jesus walked in? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away our sin. See, that should have resonated with every Jew. Because every year, the lamb would be slain. The hyssop dipped in the blood. The blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. 
They should have said, all right, I understand now the blood of rams and the blood of lambs never did anything. But this one man coming into the world has given his life as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And so don't miss it. When Jesus died on the cross, that was God once and for all saying, I will make atonement. It'll be finished. It'll be complete. It'll be paid for once and for all. It's because Jesus dying on the cross, the perfect sinless lamb saying, you know what? I'll exchange my sinlessness for your sinfulness. Aren't you glad when you pulled up this morning, you didn't have to say, all right, kids. Drag the lamb out of the back. Let, let, let's take the lamb in. We're, we want to give him to Pastor Stephen. Well, what's he going to do with it, Mama? Ask your daddy. <laughs> but, but I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be the one. I'd, I'd have some of our staff guys be the one. <laughs> and, and then, hey, hey, next Sunday, you better, better go get you another one. And you'd still walk out of here the same way you walked in. Chained to your sin. In bondage. So so when he he uses the word there, atonement, atonement, he says, listen, this is taken care of. This has been atoned. And I know you're like, well, I've not been to seminary. I don't understand what the word atonement means. Here's a simple way to understand it, okay? Atonement means this. Here is sinful mankind. Here is a holy, pure God. And Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sin, he said, you know what? I'll take sinful man and I'll take holy God and I'll make them at one. You can say it this way, at one meant at one. First Peter 1, listen to what he says, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That that is God's grace. What is Grace. Unmerited favor. Grace is not getting what I've earned. Grace is not getting what I deserve. Grace is getting what I need. What do I need? Forgiveness. What do I need? Cleansing. What do I need? I need my sin to be atoned for. And so grace. It's God saying, listen, I love you so much that even though you were a sinner... I'm going to pay the price for your salvation. And it's all because of His grace. And can I tell you what breaks my heart? It breaks my heart that there are people who are highly religious. Maybe, maybe this is even you, or maybe this was even you. Folks who had parents that well-meaning taught them, yeah, 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 in order to be right with God, yes, it's grace, yes, it's Jesus, but then it's also you got to live this kind of lifestyle. Or maybe you were raised in those churches and they were so well-meaning. They were so well-meaning. They sit there and they said, yeah, 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 I know it's about trusting Jesus, but now you better be baptized. And you got to live a certain way because if you don't live a certain way, then you know what? You can take something that was a free gift and all of a sudden you step over the line and guess what? No longer do you have the gift. <laughs> 
It's some of you, some of you, you spent every single day, you're like, oh man, I hope today was a good day. I hope I didn't forfeit my salvation today. I hope I didn't think the wrong thought today. I hope I didn't say the wrong thing today. I hope I have opportunity before I die, maybe in my dying moment, to confess my sin because I know that it's been robbed, His grace from me in my life. And then all of a sudden, one day, you were reading the Bible for yourself. By the way, can I recommend that? My goodness. And you were reading the Word of God for yourself, and you're like, what's this? It's grace. I don't have to do anything. It's grace. Just as I didn't work any way to earn forgiveness of my sins, guess what? There's nothing I can do that will forfeit forgiveness of my sins. And you're like, oh, wow. Wow, it's by grace. And you're like, yeah, I feel like I, feel like I had the chains lifted off me. Yeah, that, that's called Salvation. Salvation. I think I've probably shared this story before. I can be honest with you. I, I talk so much, I don't remember what I've said and who I've said it to and when I said it. So just kind of go with me on this. And here's a good rule of thumb. Don't finish the pastor's stories. I know it's real hard for some of you, but I don't come to your job and finish your stories. There was a guy who died. He went to heaven. He's standing outside the gate. There's an angel there. And the angel's like, you know what? God decided he was going to change how we did things. And so now, in order to get into heaven, we kind of look at the things that you did while you were alive that were good things, and we assess points to what all you've done. And if you get a 1,000 points, you get to come into heaven. And so the guy's like, well, this will be easy for me. He's like, all right, what do you got? And he said, well, uh, I was a member of a Southern Baptist church for 50 years. I was a deacon for 40 years, taught teenage boys Sunday school class for 40 years. I went on 15 mission trips. I tithed every Sunday for 50 years. Matter of fact, I'm a Gideon, and I go out and hand Bibles in the community. And the angel's like, man, that's pretty good. That's a great job. That's worth one point. <laughs> one point? Yeah, you only need 999 more. What else you got? Uh, okay, I was married to the same woman for 60 years. Uh, I never cheated on her, was always faithful. Matter of fact, I never even looked at another woman. Uh, you know, I took care of her. I took care of our kids, and I loved on them. And I was known in the community as being an honest, good businessman. I never cheated on my income tax. I, I always did what I was supposed to do. What's that worth? And the angel's like, well, that's to be commended. That's worth another point. You only need 998. And the guy throws up his hands in frustration. He's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? At this point, the only way I'm going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. And the angel's like, a thousand points. There you go. <laughs> you nailed it. We have the redemption of Jesus, uh, Jesus' act of atonement. And then finally, Jesus' act of justification. This is another one of those seminary words. Justification comes from the root word justified. 
Here's the best way I can explain justified. And hear me, guys. I didn't learn this in seminary. I learned this from Miss Putt's 10-year-old Sunday school class. Justified means this. Just as if I'd. Just as if I'd. So his grace is such that he forgives my sins. And when you stand there in the righteousness of Jesus, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God looks at you. We accept that by faith. Listen to what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says. Some of you need to mark this. Write it on a card, buy a t-shirt, whatever. Put it on there. Here it is. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Mm. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. So that no one can boast. And so when God's grace intersects with my Faith, that's salvation. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. It's not a situation that God's like, you know what? You're going to be a recipient of my grace whether you like it or not. No. No, he said, I've already paid the price through my son Jesus. And I offer you that free gift of grace. And the way we receive that free gift of grace is through faith. So the grace of God, partnered with my faith, brings salvation. But you got to come to the point where you realize, I I can't save myself. I'm never going to be good enough to warrant forgiveness. When um, when we take folks to Israel uh, on trips, they they always say, hey, we're going to go to Bethlehem, right? And, uh, and I'm like, well, let, let's not do that. Now, I didn't know that until I'd been to Bethlehem the first time. Bethlehem is highly commercialized. Bethlehem controlled by Palestinians. Uh, a lot of times your Jewish guide will not go into Bethlehem. And so uh, the whole thing is just a little bit shady. And then you have to wait in a long, long line. There's the Church of Nativity there in Bethlehem. Uh, They have a grotto, uh, what we would call a cave, in the church of nativity. And they say, this is the place that Jesus was born. Now, we don't absolutely know that. That's just the place that they've designated. And you wait long, long lines to be able to get down there and look at a a little cave. Uh, That may or may not have been the place. But I get it, everybody. We want to go to Bethlehem. First time, first time. We want to go to Bethlehem. Uh, It's kind of interesting because there are four churches that meet there. Four different denominations. Uh, It's not uncommon to read of the Palestinian police having to be called because those four denominations start fighting over when they're going to use it and other people being loud while they're holding their services. Uh, Nothing like a great witness for Jesus fighting with other Christians about the room you're going to meet in. They used to have a huge door outside the church of nativity. And all of a sudden they changed it, I don't know, several, several years ago. Because what would happen is they would have folks, the Crusaders, uh, the Ottoman Turks, folks of nobility, they would ride their horses into the church. Kind of like, I'm not getting off my horse for anybody. And they said, well, we'll fix that. 
And so they got rid of the big doors, and they got a small little door. And when I say small, listen, two feet, three inches wide, four feet, three inches tall. So if you're six foot five, guess what you're going to do to get in? You're going to bend down. Hey, if you're five foot, you never bend for anything. You'll bend to go in there. Make you feel tall. It's called the door of humility. I mean, they did it to keep people from riding their horses in, right? I don't know. I was looking at it last time I was there, and I thought, I was like, you know, I think, I think you get a little miniature Shetland pony in here. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think they have a lot of those in the Middle East. The door of humility. See, there's a lot of folks that think this. I'm going uh, to ride my horse of pride. And I'm going to say, you know what, Jesus? I've finally decided it's your lucky day. I'm going to become a Christian. Or we'll ride our high horse of religion. Been a Baptist for 50 years. Aren't you lucky, God? No. No, you'll never come to Christ that way. It's when you humble your heart. And you say, I've fallen short. I'm a sinner. I'll never be good enough to earn what I need. So I throw myself at your mercy, God. I ask you to rain down your grace in my life. Set me free from my sin. I need you, Lord. See, when I look across this room today, and even those that are watching by television, we're all in one of two categories. Either we have been recipients of His grace, or we've rejected His grace. You say, well now, I wouldn't say I've rejected His grace. I, I'm just, I'm still thinking about it. No, no. One, one or two camps. Received or rejected. Saved, lost. Sight, blind. You're in one of those two areas. But please hear what I'm saying to you today. It's not because God is not offering to you healing and rescue and salvation. The very reason that you're in this place today to hear me stomp and spit and all that kind of stuff is to hear this. If you by faith will receive his gift of grace, you will be saved. It's the greatest news we've ever heard. Would you bow your heads with me today? Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Examine your own heart. What camp am I in? Remember, there's no in-between. Either you've received the grace of God or you've rejected the grace of God. Maybe you've not received it today. The good news is, right now, this moment, you can. That God invites you at this very time. God, I'm a sinner. That's right, call out to Him. 
God, I'm a sinner. And I know I'll never live a life that's good enough to cover my own sin debt. So I ask you, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I want to follow you. And I want to serve you with all the days that I have left. Friend, is that the desire of your heart? Is that what you're saying to him right now? I'm just telling you, if that is the case, you have been a recipient of his grace. Paul would say, there's going to be a life transformation. You'll repent of your sin. You'll run to Christ. Again, not perfection. No, if we could, any of us could be perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. But freedom, justification, atonement, redemption. Hi, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you today for listening to our Unchangeable Truth podcast. Our prayer is that you have been challenged as well as encouraged as we study God's Word verse by verse. If you're ever in the Panama City area, we would love for you to come and worship with us in person at Highland Park Baptist Church, 2611 Highway 231 North in Panama City. If you want to learn more about our ministry and about our church, we would encourage you to go to our website, www.highland, and that's H-I-L-A-N-D, park, P-A-R-K, dot org. If you have any questions or any comments about today's podcast, feel free to shoot us an email at info at highlandpark.org. That's H-I-L-A-N-D, P-A-R-K, dot org. Our prayer is that you would continue to draw close to God. And if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, please reach out to us and let us share with you the greatest story that's ever been told. God bless.